All right, all right, everyone, take your seats. Today we're talking about default mechanisms. Take your seats, please. Thanks. This is the Change Academy podcast, a show where we explore what it takes to create a healthy mindset, sustainable habits, and to choose how you want to live your life before, well, someone else chooses it for you. <laughs> I'm Brock Armstrong. And I'm Monica Reinagle. Welcome. Behavioralist Shlomo Benartzi defines a default as what happens if you do nothing. If we're too busy, distracted, or fatigued to make an actual choice or decision, then the default is going to win the day. And because we are so often busy, distracted, and fatigued, we want to be really careful and intentional about which defaults are operating in our lives. And in this episode, we're going to show you how to do that. We are, and we're also going to teach you how Canadians and Americans say default differently. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that, this is the part of the show where we like to talk about what we're working on or what you guys are working on, the listeners out there. And this episode... We actually got this great question on our Wayless Facebook page. We have this special group for people who are interested in the Wayless program. And someone asked this question just the other day, and I, I loved all the responses, but this was the question. I have a question for those who have been in the Wayless year-long program. What happens when someone falls off the wagon? I'm afraid of my established pattern that when I fail at something... I quit as a result of my shame from that failure. While knowing is half the battle, that shame can keep me from brushing myself off and trying again. You know, I have to give her points for self-awareness because she clearly sees this pattern at work, but still seems to be in the grips of it. Right. And it's uh, it's one thing to know, and she acknowledges that knowing is half the battle, but... Uh, then there's that other half of the battle. <laughs> there's that other half of the battle. <laughs> and you know, as we would say, like when, when you define yourself as someone who falls off the wagon and then quits, well, you're probably going to continue that relationship or continue that behavior. But... Anyway, the responses that we got from people who have been through the program before were just fantastic. And in fact, I know both of us actually commented on the thread and said, we have nothing to add. Yeah, they really nailed it. And it was very heartening to see the extent to which they had really internalized a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in previous episodes of this podcast and that we definitely talk about a lot in the Way Less program they really got it to the extent where they could then offer it to someone else, which is the best kind of learning. Yeah. So if anybody is sitting out there thinking, yeah, I'm right along with this question asker, <laughs> then maybe this will help. So one of the responses was, I have learned to shift from shame or failure to curiosity and practice. It's like she took that right out of the first eight episodes of the Change Academy, where we talked <laughs> right. about failure and curiosity and practice. Yes, excellent. Yes, and we often bring up how shame is not an effective strategy to create change in our lives. So it's a, a really important distinction there. And the next person actually commented something that I thought was worthy of, of sharing as well. And that person said, there are plenty of lessons during the program about getting back to it. They use a metaphor of a sailboat frequently, and sometimes you steer off course and then you correct yourself. I do love a metaphor. And you love sailboats, <laughs> <laughs> too. And 
if you haven't, if you're not familiar with the the whole sailboat kind of the way that they move through the water is they don't really go in a straight line. So the reason that we use that as a metaphor is because you never completely get turned around or unless you capsize and everyone falls off the sailboat, it's always sort of, what would the term be? Re-steering? Just sort of micro-correcting your course. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. I loved another comment that somebody made that it's only failure if you don't learn something from it. And Mm -hmm. that one of the things that we do in the program is to learn how to come back from quote unquote failure and how to try different things that might work for you better. Great insight. Yeah, my favorite comment was um, somebody said, the way less life is the opposite of the on or off the wagon kind of program. And I have a feeling the person who wrote this is familiar with me sort of doing the Neo and Morpheus from from the Matrix moment of there is no spoon. <laughs> and I always say there is no wagon there is no wagon. And the reason that we say that is because as soon as you start picturing being on or off a wagon, well, then it becomes this really big deal. And it's you have to run to catch up to the wagon and jump back on and all that kind of stuff where really, if you don't picture a wagon, I always say it's just a series of choices and your opportunity to, if you insist on sticking with the wagon thing, your opportunity to get back on the wagon comes with that next time that you make a decision. So it's just a series of choices that we're making and you can choose to move towards your goal or you can choose to move away from your goal. And it's as easy as that. Yes. And that same person that made the comment about it not being an on or off the wagon kind of thing also made an important point about the value of just taking in the data and using that to help redefine what's going to work for you. And that also is right in our wheelhouse. Yeah. So I, I hope you guys got some uh, some inspiration out of that. I know it filled my heart with joy to see all of these comments, but it also reminded me of a lot of the stuff that that is so valuable from from the practice that we do in this podcast, in the Way Last program, and and in our daily lives. So. Yeah, I think that fear of falling off the wagon applies to all kinds of goals that people are working on, not just I mean, yeah. a weight loss goal, but anything. We have that fear that, ah, oh, but what happens when I fail? And if you redefine failure as, there was a great quote we used in that episode, failure is currency and success is what you buy with it. Then right. failure you have an entirely different relationship to it. So I really want to thank all of our current and former members for uh, contributing to this week's episode of Change Academy. (laughs) We're going to hire you to do some writing for us. You're fantastic. But enough about that. Let's get into today's discussion. I've really enjoyed working on this topic with you this week, Brock, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with our listeners. Yeah. And maybe just a little peek behind the curtain here is when we started, when Monica and I started talking about this this topic, I completely misunderstood the topic. (laughs) And so uh, we actually took this as a a moment since Monica really does understand the topic and I'm a little bit on the fringes here. Well, I hope I do. (laughs) That we're going to take this and just do the episode a little bit different where I'm going to stand in as a proxy for you, the listener, and, uh, and learn along with you. So hopefully this will be fun and informative. All right, so let's dig in. Our topic is defaults and default mechanisms. And, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about habits. And a habit, of course, is just a behavior pattern that we repeat without a lot of conscious thought. 
And because of that, habits can be very powerful, but they can cut both ways, right? Mm -hmm. A good habit can do a lot of good in our life, but a bad habit can do a lot of damage. And that's why we believe it's so important to create and reinforce habits that serve us. And often when we're talking about habits, we might describe them as being a default behavior. In fact, when yes. we first started talking about this topic, Brock, that's what you kept saying. Like, well, this is my default behavior. Yeah. But I was recently listening to an interview with the behavioral researcher Shlomo Benartzi, and he was using that word default to refer to something quite specific that's a little bit different than just a habit. And here's the way I understood what he was talking about. A default is like a habit on steroids. <laughs> so it's more than just a habitual behavior pattern. A default has some sort of mechanism that you actually have to physically or administratively somehow override in order for it not to happen. And that's a little different. Yeah, that is really key. So you have to physically or administratively override it, not mentally or cognitively or all the stuff that we normally or often talk about in this podcast, this is much more of a, a physical intervention. And those other ways of tackling things are also helpful and valid. This is just yeah. a different species of that. So maybe right. some examples will help to clarify yeah. this. Okay. I think one of the best illustrations of this um, has to do with retirement savings. So a lot of companies will set up their retirement programs so that an employee has to opt in to a plan where some percentage of their paycheck goes automatically into a retirement account. But hmm. other companies have it set up so that this is the default. And an employee would actually have to opt out of this if that's not what they wanted. And guess which one of those systems results in more retirement savings? Uh, guess the opt-in? <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Um, another example is the way that I've noticed just in the past few years that privacy settings for online sites are beginning to evolve. Mm. So it used to be that you would have to go to some trouble to opt out of receiving marketing or advertising. But now there's this kind of movement to let people opt in to advertising or marketing. And I think that probably benefits the consumer, but guess which one of those the advertisers probably prefer? Yeah, right. I mean, they're not going to want you to have to opt in because right. that's going to take effort and you probably won't do it. Yes, and effort is a key topic. We'll circle back to that in a second. Yeah, that and that example actually has a, a an interesting layer at this specific point in time. I think a lot of people are thinking about Google right now because they're under a microscope about their particular privacy um, <laughs> misgivings, I guess, or or missteps. And there's been an interesting sort of backlash against the Chrome browser, which is something that you actually have to opt into. Like by that, I mean, you have to download it, install it at, over top of whatever your actual browser is that your computer comes with. But people are actually going back to those installed ones and leaving Google Chrome and changing what their default would be based on the fact that, well, they're collecting an awful lot of data on us and we're not we're not happy with that. So people are opting out. <laughs> right, right. Because Google is setting up certain defaults that they're not happy with. Right. And another sort of different type of privacy, I guess, is that uh, the disturbing noises and things that happen, especially from phones these days, I actually have really started being cognizant or being, being uh, 
diligent, I guess, about putting my phone on do not disturb. On the iPhone, there's a little thing you swipe down and you hit the little moon, little half moon icon, and it uh, it just silences it. And I, I was doing that the other day, actually, while I was recording a podcast interview. And it's a good thing I did because you, Monica, messaged me like three times during that time, and I was blissfully unaware. But that's one of those things that the default is that my phone will warn me when somebody's trying to get a hold of me. And I guess that's a good thing. And so I don't want to disable that completely. But by intervening and putting that system in place, actually, is that, is turning on the do not disturb, is that a default behavior? Well, I think you're overriding the default behavior of your phone. So you're intentionally Mm. doing something to stop it. Um, And that's required of you if you want to have some peace and quiet from me, who apparently messages (laughs) you too often. Is that what you're telling me here? It's my job to message you You need to, and I'd be very upset if you didn't. (laughs) So it's just in the middle of an interview is not the time that I want the little bling bling sound going off. (laughs) Well, I think the point here is that we are so affected by defaults that other people or companies or entities set up on our behalf. And because they so powerfully shape what happens in our life, we just want to be alert to the defaults that have been set up and be sure that they serve us. But as you kind of suggested here, we can also set up our own defaults Mm -hmm. and our own default mechanisms. So I was trying to think of some examples of this to share. And I thought of a couple, maybe you can think of some more. So every Friday morning, a box of vegetables gets delivered to my front porch Nice. unless I stop it. And I have to stop it by like Wednesday or something to keep it from happening. But if I do nothing, that box of vegetables is going to be on the porch on Friday. So going to the farmer's market on Saturday morning is nice. I mean, that might be a habit that I'd like to get into, but scheduling a weekly delivery is a default. And I have to say that as a result of this default mechanism, we eat a lot more vegetables than when we had to go to the market to buy them. And you and I, Brock, we have a standing appointment in our calendar to record this podcast. It's on Wednesday afternoons at 3.30 Eastern Time. And sometimes we agree to cancel or reschedule. But if we do nothing, we are each expecting the other person to show up for that. Even if we haven't specifically confirmed our appointment for that week, it's a default. That's an interesting default. I I actually hadn't thought of that as being a, a default, but it's true. We have established that that is, yeah, that is the default and we can override it kind of like putting on the do not disturb button. But yeah, that's a, that's a great one. That's not the kind of thing I'd thought of actually when we first considered this topic. Right. And then your example that you put your phone on do not disturb rather than having to make a decision every time your phone blings about whether or not you're going to respond to it or ignore it, you're going to change that default behavior so that you can concentrate. Okay, so here's one that I just thought of, actually, while we were talking about this, and hopefully I'll try and say it really concisely, but years ago, I used to work in a bar, and I was the sound engineer, because there were bands and comedy troops and stuff would come through, and and the servers would come around and ask me if I wanted another drink when they noticed my glass was empty, because that's their default, right? Servers see an empty glass, and they ask you if you want another one. And so I actually talked to the server and said, can you not do that for me, especially when I'm sitting in the booth and clearly at work? Because my default 
response to their default question (laughs) (laughs) ended up in sort of a bad situation most nights of the week. And once we both agreed to change our default, which was that she wouldn't ask me if I wanted a drink and I had to flag her down if I actually wanted Uh one, it it actually made a really uh, a nice relationship there. Yeah. Made it a lot easier for me to, to get through my my evening without uh, spending all of my income, first of all, and, and having a, a headache the next day. I like that idea because a lot of the examples that I came up with had to do with kind of technology and automation, but that's an example of one that's really just involving the default behaviors that people agree to. Well, I guess that's like our our standing appointment. You know, we've agreed that that's our default behavior. So yeah, they come in different species. Another thing that makes a default powerful is that there's an implicit suggestion that the default option represents the best choice or even Mm -hmm. just the thing that most people do. I've noticed that fundraising campaigns will sometimes say, so how much can you contribute? Most people give $25 or $55. And that may have been way more or way less than the number that might have been in my head, but it's very, it's very influential because we are really powerfully influenced by the idea that whatever most people are doing is probably the best course of action. And that's especially true if we don't have the time or we don't want to take the time to really research something or really think it through. It's kind of a a lazy shortcut to well what do most people do it's like the the tip buttons on the on the yes. automated when you're when you're paying for your meal afterwards and mm-hmm. it has like 10 15 18% or whatever you're not going to take that extra step to push other and then right. punch it in because then it feels kind of embarrassing that you're a cheapskate and <laughs> exactly but you know the irony of this is that most people are going to choose the default simply because it is the default and not necessarily because it makes the most sense so you know, it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, well, and that obviously isn't necessarily always the thing that works best in our lives. Like I, I'm thinking again about the notifications. Like I know my email program, by default, it makes a sound. It has a little pop-up, a little number shows on on my icon, and all of that kind of stuff happens by default. And if I don't do something like jump in there and tell it no stop checking email quite so often or turn off the 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 sound completely then like whether i choose to ignore the fact that i've got an email or not and keep working on whatever i'm working on i've still been distracted and i've still got that seed planted in the back of my head that there is an email waiting for me and it might be really interesting maybe you should go and check it and it's already derailed me whether i want it to or not so leaving that default on that somebody else has chosen for you, even if we think we're adults and (laughs) don't need to be, we're not toddlers that need to have everything exactly perfect and we can make, we have free will and can make our own choices. It still isn't the best choice to leave those on sometimes. Well, right. So your phone has chosen a default for you. And that is to go ahead and send you a notification every time an email comes in, every time a message comes in. So the path of least resistance for you is to accept the default. Now you got me saying default instead of default. So the path of least resistance is just like with the tip, you know, it's just easier to pick one of the ones that they give you rather than type in your own. And for the phone, it's easier for you to just accept the default. And that means that every time you get an email, then you have to make that conscious decision about whether or not to ignore it, which takes a lot of energy. It's like cognitively costly. Yeah. And in order for you not to be disturbed, you actually have to take an action to override 
those default settings. That's how we know it's a default mechanism because mm-hmm. you have to take, if you do nothing, that's going to be the lay of the land. So I actually have all of the notifications on my phone, both the the dings and, and bings, but also the visual ones. You know, those little badges, those little icons that show you how many messages or notifications are waiting. Mm-hmm. When I set up my phone for the first time, I went through and I turned all of them off. So my default behavior for my phone is never to notify me. So in my case, if I take the path of least resistance and I do nothing, I will not be notified when an email comes in. Unless I open my email app, I won't know. And that's the other default mechanism that I've chosen. Because, you know, and that's, I think, part of what makes a default so powerful is that it's the path of least resistance. And I think the question that we always need to be asking ourselves is, okay, where is the path of least resistance taking me? Mm. Is it somewhere that I want to go? Yeah. My instinct is that it probably isn't very often, but it is worth evaluating on on every single case and not just assuming that somebody's got your back. Exactly. Maybe sometimes they're they're set up to benefit us, but often they're not. And I think that the last thing I'll say about defaults and what makes them so powerful is that they're somewhat invisible by design. And so if we want to take control of them, we may really need to go looking for them. Yeah, whether that's digging through the system settings on your phone or talking to the HR department at your work or I'm not sure what else it really does take some effort to to find those. Well, and that's kind of what we're going to dig into in our lab experiment. But before we do that, maybe can you wrap this up? Put a bow on it. Yeah, let me let me sum up what I've learned today because this was really really interesting. It isn't about habits at all. It's it is habits on steroids, like you said <laughs> at the beginning. So okay, so the first thing that I uh, that I took away from this was that some default mechanisms are imposed on us by society, our employers, or software things like that, but others we actually create and implement for our own benefit. Then, like habits, default mechanisms can be very powerful, both in the ways that serve us and in ways that, well, don't serve us. Now, because defaults are often somewhat invisible, we may not always notice them, but it's important to be aware when a default is operating or even overriding things in our lives. And finally, defaults represent the path of least resistance, but... Does that path still lead where we want to go? That's the important question to ask. Right. And there's an important little thought embedded in there. You said, does that path still lead where we want to go? Because sometimes we have defaults that have been put in place by us, by others that did work in the past, but Mm. may not, may no longer work for us now, but because they're defaults, it's going to take a little extra energy to notice and override them. So Just because a default worked for us in the past doesn't necessarily mean that it's still the right default for us now. You know, after getting a mortgage, I've actually changed my checking account three times (laughs) trying to find the one that actually had the least or monthly fees and transactional fees because I wasn't using that account all the time. Three times. and I've only been living in this house for four months. So it's almost once a month I've changed my (laughs) checking account. I think 
think I'm settled now. But anyway. Well, right. But those financial things, that's a good example, you know, because our financial goals and objectives change as we move through different phases of our life. And Mm -hmm. if we set up defaults early on, that may be the best way for us to kind of automate our progress towards our goal. But if we forget to update them, they may be really misaligned, you know, as we get closer to, let's say, retirement, the defaults that we set up in our 30s may not be appropriate anymore. So you know, you'll just get monthly feed into the poorhouse. <laughs> That's what I found. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into a lab experiment. Bring it on. Because uh, this was a lot to get our arms around. And I think maybe doing is the best understanding in this case. So I have two different options for you to choose from in this lab experiment. Option one is to identify a default mechanism that's currently in place in your life, whether it's one that you designed or one that was put in place by someone or something else. So that's a big task right there, right? Just to identify a default mechanism. But once you've got one, ask yourself, does this path of least resistance lead somewhere that I want to go? And if not, how can you disable that default mechanism? Hmm. Okay, don't like that one? Here's option two. <laughs> or you could do both. <laughs> option two is to identify a goal or an outcome that you want to create in your life. For example, saving a certain percentage of your income or not reading emails during certain hours or eating more vegetables. Or not getting beer every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then ask yourself, what default mechanism can I put in place to make that happen. For example, setting up an automatic savings plan or changing the settings on your email client and when in, when it does and does not fetch emails for you or like we did, subscribing to a produce box that gets automatically delivered. And remember, the default is what happens if you do nothing. Right. So if you need a little help, Figuring out whether you actually have got a hold of a default mechanism or just a habit, or you're trying to brainstorm a way to design a default mechanism to create a goal or outcome that you're interested in, drop us a line. We'd be happy to brainstorm with you. Yeah, I feel like I've really got a handle on this now. I did. I went into this episode a little, little bit head scratchy, but I think I've got it now. And if you want to make sure that you've got it, you can find all of our contact information if you go to changeacademypodcast.com. Okay, let's tackle those defaults. Or defaults. We'll see you next time. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. And remember, you can find all the contact information at changeacademypodcast.com. <laughs>